Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Gather the spirit, harvest the power. Our separate fires will kindle one flame. That is what we sang with such lively conviction in our opening hymn this morning here. We come to church for a reason. Any of us can, and some of us do, cultivate an individual spiritual life for ourselves, maybe at home or out in the wilderness, in places of historical heritage or of cultural richness. Still, there is something that calls us here, together, regularly into spiritual community. What is it that calls you here? Holy and beautiful, the custom that brings us together to face our ideals and to be enlightened. Holy and beautiful, the custom that brings us together to give thanks and to be strengthened. Three unseen guests attend. Behold, they are with us even now. Even here today, they are sitting in amongst you right now in this sanctuary. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, they are here helping us to help each other to face our ideals and to be enlightened, expressing in each other's presence our gratitude, our yearnings, our brokenness, our grief, our need to be strengthened, our exuberance, our uncertainties, and our convictions. These are some of the reasons that many of us come to church. Many of us want to shape our lives to be more in harmony with what we say we believe. And we want to save the world while we're at it. We come together to share the awe, wonder, joy, pain, and power of being alive. We remind ourselves that we are lovable beings of infinite worth, imbued with powers of the soul and obligated to use our gifts, talents, and potentials in the service of life, despite all those other forces out there, you know which ones I mean, that are bound and determined to keep us feeling powerless, to manipulate us with spin, to get us to do and be and eat and buy things that aren't good for us, to accept or be quiet about oppression. We come together to teach our children and to remind ourselves and each other that we are moral agents, capable of making a difference in the lives of other people, challenging structures of social and political oppression and promoting the health and well-being of the planet. We come together to help each other with the challenges of living and loving. Yes, all that and more. We each, individually and together, are far more powerful and creative than we dare to admit sometimes. 
Our lives can make a difference for the better in our world if we would but bring our abundant resources to bear, own our power, and help each other to use it well. Sometimes we do that quite well indeed, as last Sunday's generous contributions for Haiti and then Monday's National Day of Service in this church proved. 1,600 sandwiches and how many blankets? X number of blankets, lots of them, distributed among the cold and the hungry and the needy among us. That is nothing to sneeze at. It matters, those acts of generosity. They matter for the people who were fed and warmed by our blankets and by our presence. It matters that they know we care about them. It matters that we act in ways that prove our generosity, and it matters that we teach our children to walk our talk in the world. I am deeply grateful to everyone who participated in the name of this spiritual community. Gather the spirit, harvest the power. Preparing for today, I spent a good bit of time in meditation about power and researching power. I was looking for good book titles and quotations for inspiration, and I was thinking about the way that power moves in our world. When I started looking at books that have been written about power, I was quite amused at the array of fascinating titles. Listen, The Power of No, The Power of Slow, The Power of Less, The Power of More, The Power of Attachment, The Power of Detachment, The Power of Nice, The Power of Kindness, The Power of the Truth, The Power of an Hour, The Power of Now, The Power of Song, The Power of Dreams, The Power of Empire, The Power of the News Media, The Power of Intention, The Power of Resilience, Presidential power, American power, corporate power, conservative power, pyramid power, family power, the power of the news media, the healing power of the life force, power to save the world, increase your word power, nuclear power, and nuclear power is not the answer. No, wait, how about these? The power of three, the power of two, and the power of one. Those are three separate book titles. Oh, and you got to hear this one. You have the power choosing courage in a culture of fear. Well, I think you get the point. All those book titles are in my local public library, and there were lots more, but I'll spare you. We seem to be power hungry, power obsessed, sometimes maybe even paralyzed by a feeling of powerlessness. Still, I do want to encourage you, good people, to seize the power that is yours. Yes, let's together keep on harvesting the power to use for that which is good and true and beautiful in our world. Let us use our power towards a future becoming for which we will be grateful, for which we will celebrate, about which we can be proud. This past week, in addition to the news about our statewide special election and the vivid footage coming to us from Haiti, we were blessed, now I'm being sarcastic now, just heads up, we were blessed with the wisdom of the US Supreme Court's telling us that corporations rule us, that it's perfectly fine for them to spend unlimited amounts of corporate money to manipulate campaigns and elections. I was shocked and dismayed by this ruling and the way it seems to victimize we the people. 
until I was reminded by one of the faculty members at the seminary that I attended in Berkeley that we do still have the power nevertheless. We can choose to say no to corporate funded campaign ads by turning off our TVs or by recording the shows we like and fast forwarding over the ads or by muting them and by taking our purchasing power elsewhere if we don't like their politics. Buy queer, he said. Good idea, huh? Work green, bank local, don't shop at all, or minimally. And he's right, you know. If you wouldn't donate to a company's political action committee, then their product probably isn't good for you either, he said. Hmm, that's worthy of some thought. Yes, we are admonished to use our power well on our own behalf and on behalf of the common good in keeping with our values and our principles and on behalf of what we already know matters most. I want to tell you a story of another Unitarian Universalist congregation that struggled with decisions about its power recently, grappling with the nuances and challenges of its mission and calling, and the potential cost of taking its place standing on the side of love in its local community. I know this congregation well. It is the church that I served just before arriving here in Boston this summer. I'm sorry, this fall. A number of events happened in amazing coincidence while I was there in that church. Such a coincidence, in fact, that I've got to wonder whether the sequence was actually spirit at work in the world. During the summer of 2008, they offered a lay-led series of sermons, as is done here during the summer, too. The theme that summer was bending towards justice, how our faith calls us to respond to the world. The series offered sermons from the members of the congregation that were drawn from lived experience of justice issues, aging, poverty, gender discrimination, homophobia, cultivating green consciousness, and so on. The final sermon in the series that summer was about racism. It was delivered by a shy, young, articulate African-American member of the congregation who almost had said no to the invitation to speak. Who was he, he asked, to speak to a bunch of white folks about race and his experiences of racism? Well, he did a beautiful job of it poignantly sharing some of his own experiences and articulating his faith and hope in Unitarian Universalist values and principles for helping to overcome race and color-based oppression. He received a standing ovation at the end of his service. I had already been thinking about what should be the focus of my second year of ministry there as I was moving from the status of being an intern minister, a student, into serving as associate minister there. And when I heard him, and I saw the congregation's response to him, I knew that my ministry needed to be something related to what he had spoken about. I had worked in federal civil rights enforcement for many years. I had studied oppressions in my seminary journey. I had worked on behalf of the school's mission to educate to counter oppression and create just and sustainable community. I had taken an untraining white racism class I consider myself an ally for justice. So I called the Unitarian Universalist Association to see whether the congregation might offer a particular pilot curriculum 
that was supposed to be past the testing phase and into its rewrite phase, building the world we dream about. Yes, they told me yes, and that I needed a co-leader, ideally of color. So I asked the young man who had preached, who took almost no time at all to say yes, and when we launched the series that September, over 50 people showed up for it from the congregation meeting bi-weekly at the church. Privileged, white, suburban UUs, hungry to know more about the workings of racism in our world, and perhaps brave enough to face collusion with it. Now that fall, six or eight Unitarian Universalist congregations came together there for a major worship service that filled a downtown concert hall that October 2008, honoring the Unitarian Universalist Association Sunday, lifting up the power and the promise of our association of congregations. There were about a dozen ministers leading the liturgy coming from all those congregations. The moderator of the Unitarian Universalist Association came to preach that day, an especially commissioned new piece of music, a prayer that had been set to music for orchestra and combined choirs, had its world premiere. It was a magnificent high energy service. And that suburban congregation had already had another high energy worship service that summer, which had filled the sanctuary and made the 11 o'clock news that day, standing on the side of love, a service that I was privileged to lead in the wake of the shootings at our church in Knoxville, Tennessee that summer. That service was intended to tell the community who we are as you use, and that we would stand firm, firmly on the side of love, despite the violence. And it was also intended to detox from the experience of taking in the hell and damnation spewing street preachers who show up with megaphones for the late July Pride Festival in that city each summer. An amazingly intense awful experience that we did need detox from. Well, that same Sunday that we were doing the big Association Sunday celebration, the UUs learned that a beautiful old inner city Christian church's membership had decided to meet that same weekend as our Association Sunday to vote on closing. They had been devoted to their community ministry in a very impoverished area of the city for many decades. But their membership was aging and dwindling. They were running out of money. They couldn't keep paying their ministers, staff, and utility bills. When the UUs there learned of this, they took a look at the design and the condition of the building. The staff and boards of both churches met. Now remember, the UU group is suburban, largely white and privileged. This is an inner city building they're talking about. The staff and boards of both churches met in the building. The UUs learned that their asking price was unbelievably low. The organ alone was probably worth more than the asking price. And I believe there probably were some UU church members who were financially able to buy it outright themselves in cash. The UU leadership proposed buying it for space in the city to accommodate a growing congregation that was bursting the seams at its suburban location and to better respond to the ministry needs of the city, walking the talk. The existing Christian congregation could continue their community ministry, freed of the burden of building ownership. One of the UU board members asked them, how would they feel about sharing the building with a bunch of UU heretics, some of whom are atheists? That question sat there in silence for a moment, and then one of their elders answered, 
And oh, how I love this. He said, I don't really care what you think about God because I believe God brought you to us. And then another from their board agreed with him and said, yes, she did. Inspections, open houses, and lots of meetings ensued. The staff and most of the UU leadership were in favor of buying the building, but many in the congregation were dubious. They worried about personal safety in that urban neighborhood. They worried about acquisition and renovation costs. They worried about cars being broken into. They objected to the single, simple cross in the stained glass over the chancel. Very small cross above. And they worried about the framed Jesus pictures hanging around the building. One longtime UU member said he would never go to church there. It reminded him too much of the church he had escaped in becoming a Unitarian Universalist. Some UU parents said they would never take their children into the inner city. No one admitted to race-based fear. But fear of the city, its poverty, and its people was definitely in the air. The Unitarian Universalists set the date of their membership vote on the purchase as two weeks before Christmas that year. The senior minister was out of town, so I got to preach the final sermon before the vote. The congregation was in turmoil over the upcoming decision. I was struggling that Saturday writing my sermon. I felt I needed to bring both a prophetic and a pastoral voice, and that to some extent those two voices were in conflict in this context. As I sat thinking about my sermon, my phone rang. It was the board president who was scheduled to be my worship associate leading the service, including delivering a brief reflection prior to my sermon. He told me he planned to resign, not just as president, but from the board and from the church. He said he was past the limit of his ability to tolerate the controversy and that he was inadequate to the task of leading the congregation. He was losing a lot of sleep over it, he said. He said he thought I should know before he resigned the next day during the service. Oh my. Ah, I took a deep breath and I told myself, remember I was new in ministry, still feel myself new. I told myself, okay, Yvonne, you wanted to be a minister. Here it is, do the ministry. So I asked him a few questions and I listened to more of his frustration. And then I said to him, of course you feel in over your head. We are all in over our heads. These issues are not easy. Tell them how you feel. Tell them how the controversy is affecting you. They need to know it. They love and trust you. Tell them. And so he did the next day. And jaws dropped all around the sanctuary as he spoke. I could see the reactions from where I was sitting in the chancel. And right then and there, midstream in the service, there was a spontaneous laying on of hands, people coming forward in tears to reassure and hug him, to say, in essence, that they would be loyal to the congregation, regardless of the outcome of the vote. And he did not resign. My preaching that day was, I think, among my best ever as a new minister. The vote the following Saturday was narrowly in favor of buying the building, yes. And then everyone scurried to get it cleaned out and spiffed up for my ordination, which happened there in that building in late June, just this past June. Rank by rank, again we stand, we sang there that day. 
And now that congregation is having quite an adventure there this year, I understand, hearing through the grapevine. Dear people, my prayer for us is that when we are in over our heads, and we will be sometimes, life is like that, we will look to each other for wisdom, understanding, clarification, reframing, support, courage, a reminder to breathe, whatever it takes. Leadership is not easy when the stakes are so high, and they are. Church is what matters, church is about what matters most in life. You are all encouraged to minister to each other. I am here to help you with that as acting associate minister and to support Reverend Kim's senior ministry. I am watching for clues about where your passions lie. Mark Watanabe and I are planning to begin a new program here next month entitled, how's this for another coincidence, Harvest the Power. It is a leadership development curriculum that will provide skills and strategies, spiritual deepening, exploration of moral values and ethical sensibilities, and an opportunity to share our stories, our dreams, and our concerns as current and future leaders in Arlington Street Church. We hope there will be plenty of interest in harvesting the power of this beloved congregation. Blessings always, and namaste.